Welcome back to Mom Life Crisis. I'm Nikki. I'm Lori. Just two disgruntled mamas bringing you laughs, tears, and a good old time. So sit back and enjoy. Hey everyone, happy Wednesday. How's everyone doing tonight? How you doing, Lori? Oh, I've been better. How are you doing, Nikki? I'm doing okay. Kind of had to get my mind ready for tonight's conversation. It's definitely going to be a tough one. Yeah, especially since there's a lot of women that suffer from both infertility and miscarriage. Trigger warning for anyone out there. We are going to be talking about sensitive subjects. Tonight's going to be a little more serious than our usual podcast. So sit back and take in the information we're going to give you. And this, right. is, and this is, I think this is also a topic that really hits home for us because we both have been through infertility and miscarriage and I've gone through IVF. I mean, like between the both of us, I think we hit every single point. Pretty much. Yeah. It, it, it was a difficult journey. So I think we're going to start it off with talking about infertility. Mm-hmm. So let's see, I do have a couple of statistics that I found from cofertility.com. 12% of women who experience difficulties become pregnant or carrying a child to term. One in eight couples in America encounter fertility hurdles. And as Lori said, both of us were part <laughs> of that. 19% of all couples are unable to conceive after a year of unprotected sex. I definitely fell within that category. 10% of all couples are unable to conceive after two years of unprotected sex. I also fall within that category. Mm -hmm. 33% of Americans have turned to fertility treatments and know someone who has. Well, I have, and you know someone who has. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) My infertility basically started after I got married. We tried to conceive. So I got married in 2011. And right after that, we decided we were going to try for a child. I basically didn't conceive until three years after. Um, Yeah, I did go for testing. So I, from what the doctors supposedly found at that time, there was nothing wrong with me. But now that, you know, I had an appointment last year, come to find out I had PCOS. So that had a great deal to do with me not being able to conceive because having Mm -hmm. PCOS is one of the reasons that it's hard for women to conceive. Yeah, no, I'm going through the same thing, among other things, probably. One third of cases are due to male infertility, and then one third of cases are due to female infertility, and then one third is due to both parents and them not knowing what's wrong. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we all know that age has a huge part to deal with, as they say, infertility, One in four women get pregnant during any single menstrual cycle during their 20s and early 30s. One in 10 women get pregnant per menstrual cycles in their 40s. A 25-year-old woman who has been trying to conceive for three months has an 18% chance of getting pregnant in their next menstrual cycle. A 40-year-old woman who has been trying to conceive for three months has a 7% chance. That's crazy how different those Mm -hmm. percentages are. After one year of trying, 25-year-old women have a 10% chance of getting pregnant in their next cycle. After one year of trying, 40-year-old women have a 3% chance of getting pregnant in their next cycle. Women younger than 35 are advised to seek help after a year of trying to conceive, and women 35 and older are advised to seek help after six months of trying to conceive. Yep. So you've dealt with, is it IVF or did you do IUI? I did both. 
Oh, okay. I did I did five rounds of IUI and we were only able to afford one round of IVF, which I'm still paying off because my insurance did not fully cover it. So, and I've been paying it off since last year. That is, that it's insane that women have to deal with this and then health insurance does not help at all. Nope, like, nope, not at all. At all. So for those who don't understand what IUI and IVF are, IUI is intrauterine insemination, right? Yeah, so what they do is they collect the sperm. You literally have like an hour to get it to the office if you're traveling with it. And then you have to keep the cup in between your boobs. You know, they wash it and clean it and everything. And then they use a tube to essentially put it right back into directly into your uterus. Wow. So they say that that one is actually one of the least invasive treatments. Yeah, it is. I, I can't even imagine. I, I'd be so stressed out just doing that. It was uh, stressful. I, I can't even imagine. Some statistics for IUI are 33% of moms undergoing IUI get pregnant during their first cycle of IUI cycle. Mm -hmm. 54 to 77% of women undergoing IUI get pregnant by their eighth cycle. And the average chance of taking home a baby with IUI is 30%. So the thing that it seems wrong when it comes to the paper is a lot of fertility offices, once you hit the fifth IUI, they move on. Because they say after the fifth, the chances don't go up oh, and wow. they, actu they actually start going down. Oh my God. So then they start going towards other methods after that. Oh, that's interesting. I never knew that. Mm -hmm. Wow. So then I guess the most common that a lot of people know of is IVF, which is in vitro fertilization. And how does that work? How does that differ from IUI? Ooh, so that one is extremely invasive. You have to go through months of taking medications. And I mean, like I was injecting myself in the stomach every day and sometimes with as many as three different medications in, you know, per night. And then, you know, what it does is each medication does something different. So one medication um, stops you from ovulating one medication, it stimulates your eggs so that they grow more. And another one stimulates the eggs so that they grow faster. Oh my goodness. So I'm essentially a walking gumball machine that's filled with eggs. Wow. <laughs> it's not fun. It's actually painful as the eggs get bigger because every time you bend over, you can actually feel like there's something there. Oh my God. So then after that, you know, once they're like, okay, the eggs are big enough, then you have to take yet another shot to release the eggs, essentially, maybe like a day or two after they go in and they take them out with a surgery. So you they put you under they wow. take Yeah, they they use apparently like a big needle or something like that. And then they go in and literally extract every single egg. Oh my God. But I once can't. Oh, I'm not done yet. Oh. So once that happens, you go home and then you start taking yet another shot every day, except this time it's in the ass and it fucking hurts like hell. It is Jesus painful. Christ. You're literally like a fucking just a pinwheel. Just oh yeah. Oak, oak, oak. Exactly. 
So then that's the progesterone and that's supposed to help your body get prepared. And then depending on what you do. So if you're getting your eggs tested, then it's usually they send the eggs out. It takes about a month to so a month and a half to get them tested, in which case they're frozen up until that point. Then they send them back and then, okay, now it's time to put them in you. But unfortunately, Octomom kind of ruined it for everybody. So now doctors are like, nope, we're only putting one in one in at a time (laughs) that's they put one in so you go through all of this get all these eggs taken out of you to have just one put in you at a time one at a time but even then not every egg survives so in my case I had about 18 eggs that were retrieved after testing I had two left oh my god Yeah. So they deemed it as those were the only two that were viable that had the best chance. Right. So after that, it's a quick procedure to put the egg back in. They put it right into your uterus. And by that time, you're essentially two weeks pregnant. And then you just got to hope that it sticks. There's some statistics with that. So there is a 5% chance that an egg that defrosts will not survive. I fell under that category. My first egg did not survive. So they were like, now we're going to defrost the next egg. That one, that one did survive it was a girl so Mm -hmm. we already knew the sexes one was a boy one was a girl the boy did not make it the girl did they put the egg back in me and unfortunately it turned into an ectopic pregnancy which Which we'll be talking about in a little bit and it's a three percent chance that that happens with an ivf so i'm like wow every tiny slim percentage you have hit i have hit that is crazy and it was it was a devastating blow for us because we already have been going through this process for about a year and a half right to come that far and for them to be like well insurance is not going to cover anymore and in fact this is how much you owe because you went over so it was traumatic for us to go through all of that and it's not easy like let me I can imagine because not only the physical pain of it but the emotional pain of it because I can only imagine how your hormones were during this time it's 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 such a toll on our body and yeah, it's it's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. And it's heartbreaking if it doesn't work out. And even right. then, the chances of IV, IVF working out are also small. I think it's like, what, a 33% chance, 35% chance? Yeah. Like it's, so, it's so small. That That is, that's insane. Insane. Like I said, first of all, just the thought that women have to go through this when, you know, their bodies can't do it on its own. And then you have health insurances not paying to, you know, help these women. Like, I I just don't understand that. Like, that's that's really crazy. Mm -hmm. So the last couple of statistics that I have here. So we have one for egg quality, which women, as you get older, you know, your egg quality diminishes. Says when you consider most women are born with nearly 2 million eggs. The chances that some won't be winners are pretty decent. So it says here, 60% of fetuses in the first trimester miscarriages are considered chromonomaly abnormal or chromosomally abnormal. And then it says age and risks of having a child with chromosome abnormalities. In your 20s, it's 1 to 526. Uh, In the 30s, it's 1 in 384. 
35, one in 192, 40, one in 66, 45, one in 21. Wow. And that's not even taking into account family genetics. Absolutely. And, and, and even, even the more other factors, yeah, right. And other factors of life. Mm-hmm. So when we're born, we have one to 2 million eggs during puberty that drops to 300,000 to 500,000. By the time we hit 37 years of age, it's we only have 25,000 eggs. And by 51 years of age is 1,000. Wow. So it just gets harder and harder for us. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much what I have on IVF and IUI. I never went through that. And I know you have experience with that. That was going to be the next step for us if we didn't conceive naturally. So it, it was actually really weird. We tried for three years and I remember there was a point where I was just like you know what fuck this I'm done people don't understand when you want a baby so bad you do everything like mm-hmm. you're you're testing you're testing your your you're checking your ovulation schedule you're you're you know peeing your ba- on that ovulation stick your you're, basal body temperature. yeah your basal body temperature the legs up to keep the sperm in if you yep. know you know mm-hmm. so when it comes time to having to take that test or you know, you think you're pregnant and then your menstrual cycle starts. It's freaking heartbreaking. And, you know, after a point, you're just like, fuck this. I'm done. Like I was completely fucking done. And of course, when that happened, that's when I got pregnant with Mateo. So we're going to talk about ectopic pregnancy. I've never had one of those. I don't know how that works. I know that it's basically, I guess, in your fallopian tube. Yep. I guess you can take it from there since you unfortunately suffered one of those. Is this the the most recent one? Yes. This was the girl? Yes. So I ended up with an ectopic because the egg decided it did not want to stay in the uterus. So it decided to go right into the fallopian tube with... A lot of people who get ectopics who don't go through IVF, what happens is the egg gets fertilized with the sperm in the fallopian tube itself. Okay. And then the egg ends up implanting in the fallopian tube and just gets bigger and bigger. For a lot of women, there is a very, very high chance that it can actually burst, like their fallopian tube can burst, which can lead to death if you're not fast enough. Wow. Um, in my case... I am very in tuned with my body. And so I was already feeling cramps. It was more than cramps. It was a very big pain mm-hmm. only on one side. And they kept assuring me. They're like, no, you know, cramps are normal. And I'm like, no, this is different. I was like, right. this is, I, I was like, I've been pregnant before. I know what the cramps feel like. This mm-hmm. is just on one side. This doesn't feel normal. They had me come in. They were like, well, we may not be able to see anything because it's still early. I was like, can you just please check? And they checked and sure enough, they saw the egg in the fallopian tube and they were like, wow, you really, you really got that early. I'm like, I felt it. In the case of that, if you catch it early enough, what they do is they actually give you medication that they give to chemo patients. So essentially they give you chemotherapy, Mm -hmm. but it's just two two shots right in the ass at the same time. And that usually tells your body to flush everything out. Usually, if you get it early enough, the two shots is enough. If not, they have you do another round. And then if that still doesn't work, then the last step is surgery, because I cannot stress enough how important it is to get that baby out of the fallopian tube, no matter what you've heard from who or what 
congressman or whatever, an ectopic pregnancy cannot it's not viable survive. at all. Cannot survive at all. Yep. So please get it taken care of. So yeah, so they uh, basically, for those that don't exactly know what an ectopic pregnancy is, it's a like Lori said, is a tubal pregnancy. It basically is in your uh, fallopian tube, or sometimes it can actually go into your abdomen. For it to actually go into your fallopian tube, it says that it, it's an estimated 1% to 2% of pregnancies. So once again, Lori is in the low percentage mm-hmm. of categories. And then in rare cases, they, like I said, they implant in the abdomen, and that's between 6 and 16% of pregnant people. That's, that's really scary though, to think that this baby that you're wanting and waiting for is just now in your fallopian tube. And if you weren't so aware of your body, God mm-hmm. forbid, you could have been there like, okay, well, you know, yeah, these are just pregnancy cramps and God forbid your fallopian tube would have busted. And mm-hmm. then that would have been a whole nother issue. Yeah. So in that case, what they do, if the fallopian tube does burst first, because it essentially causes internal bleeding, which is why they need, like, you need to rush to the emergency room mm-hmm. ASAP. What they do is they would stop the internal bleeding. They would take out the fallopian tube, which for somebody who is trying to get pregnant, that can be devastating for them because now they're just left with the one fallopian tube. They have to pray that that one's fine. But here's the thing. When you have one ectopic pregnancy, your chances of having another ectopic pregnancy actually go up significantly. So it's it's just an awful feeling to go through. I can I I can't even imagine it. I really can't. Uh, you spoke about the treatments, and here it says there there are three primary treatments. One they say is rarely used, which is the it involves the wait and watch approach. Ain't nobody trying to wait and watch no. to see if it's an ectopic pregnancy. If you're in pain and having all these cramps, you're not gonna wait to see what it is. So they say that it's only used if the fetus appears to be miscarrying and the hdg levels are dropping and even still go to the hospital and Mm -hmm. get checked out because that doesn't mean anything just because your levels are dropping and it's showing signs of miscarriage your fallopian tube still can bust yep yep and that was that was one of the warnings that they told me as well they're like you're not out of the woods because like you said the fallopian tube can still bust Mm -hmm. and then the other treatment i believe is the medication you were speaking of the metro trioxate sounds about right probably probably something (laughs) that we're not doctors so we're going to screw up all kinds of words here (laughs) and then lastly it would be the surgical treatment if it's Mm -hmm. needed so it's these risk factors it's saying that if these risk factors don't apply to you your odds of having an ectopic pregnancy are lower than one in 50 because apparently you have a one in 50 chance of having an ectopic pregnancy. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty low. I have to say one in 50. And yeah. I mean, that's like sitting in a classroom and at least one of you is going to have an ectopic pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So if you, like you said, if you had a previous ectopic pregnancy, the chance of your next pregnancy being ectopic will be 15%. Yeah. And that's a big old. jump. That that's is a big, big jump. jump. From one in 50 to 15%. Yeah. If you're older than 35, Mm -hmm. if you have endometriosis, if you've been exposed to a manufactured form of the hormone estrogen called DSE, getting pregnant after having your tubes tied, if you already had an atopic pregnancy, getting pregnant when using an IUD, having multiple sex partners, problems getting pregnant or fertility treatments. So that that's another Mm -hmm. factor scars inside the pelvic area and then sexually transmitted infections. 
infections like chlamydia and gonorrhea because it leads to pelvic inflammatory disease. Mm-hmm. That's just just crazy how our bodies work and sometimes how our bodies turn against us. And for for anyone who's listening, who's going through this or whatever, I knew early because like I said, I'm very in tune with my body. But if you don't know, especially if it's your first pregnancy and you're not Mm -hmm. sure what to expect. Go to the hospital for everything. Go. (laughs) I mean, go to the hospital. Yes. But (laughs) what you can expect with an ectopic pregnancy is a lot of bleeding, vomiting, diarrhea, a lot of pain to the point where you can't even stand up. Like it's just painful. And I've heard from people that I know that have had their tubes burst. If you pass out from the pain, it's time to go because that, that passing out that like tremendous pain is telling you that it basically, yeah. And And also a fever, a fever is another thing that you have to look out for. So there are, there are signs that'll make you want to go to the ER. But as Nikki said, just fucking go for everything because you never know. So question, you've also had a miscarriage before. What are the sim- are the symptoms similar to a, a regular miscarriage? So for me, no. I mean, aside from the bleeding, the cramps that I had with a miscarriage felt more like the labor cramps as if I were going into labor. So it okay. was the cramps that were across my entire belly, um, you know, very painful for me, hard to breathe, nothing felt comfortable. Like it really was just, it was so painful, like oh. emotionally, because I knew what was going on. Right. And, and physically, it's just painful. Because Miscarriage like- was one of the hardest, most painful things mm-hmm. that I went through as well. So I, I miscarried at 12 weeks and it was a baby girl. Her name was Sophia. After Mateo, Mateo was actually, I believe, five months old when I got pregnant. I had, so with Mateo, I had a C-section. And at that time, I didn't know that getting pregnant so soon after a miscarriage, I mean, after a C-section could actually result into a miscarriage because they're cutting into your uterus. So it's not fully healed. And, you know, having to hold a fetus actually puts strain on it. And I didn't know that until after I started researching. Yeah, when Mateo was five months old, I found out I was pregnant. It wasn't planned. It just happened. And everything in the beginning of the pregnancy was fine. So I started cramping and bleeding, but I thought it was okay because with Mateo, I literally exactly. bled mm-hmm. through the whole pregnancy and I had cramps with him and the cramps at this time weren't anything crazy for me it wasn't anything to be scared about what did scare me was I believe it was like my birthday or the day after my birthday so I was laying in bed the gush of blood that came out was just different with Mateo yeah I bled and I bled a pretty significant amount but this the way that this just happen I was like uh there's something wrong I ended up going to the hospital and I could just tell by the the text face that something was wrong like she was being really sweet about it and talking to me mm-hmm. and she's like oh you know is this your first pregnancy and I'm like no this is my second and she's like oh, okay and she was like um you know have you been experiencing any symptoms and w- when she said that I started thinking back and I'm like you know what a lot of my symptoms started going away like with yep. Mateo I had my my boobs were sore I was nauseous tired mm-hmm. all the time so with uh, Sophia's pregnancy, I started with the nausea. I started with the, mm-hmm. my breast hurting and being tired. And then I realized, like, as she said that, I was like, you know what? They A lot of, going away. They, yeah, they started mm-hmm. going away. I wasn't feeling as nauseous. I wasn't, my boobs weren't hurting. Mm-hmm. I just didn't feel pregnant. 
Yep. And I was like, oh, well, you know, because they say every pregnancy is different. So I was like, oh, maybe this one is going to be an easy pregnancy. So as she said that and like the look on her face, I already knew. So I was like, okay. The doctor came in and they were like, oh, well, maybe you're just early. And I'm like, no, at this time, I should have been 12 weeks. When they did the ultrasound, she basically was not there. Like she had stopped developing. I believe it was like 10 weeks. And the reason we knew it was a she was because I had the that blood the blood test drawn and they determined through the blood test that it was a, a girl. And I think I had that at like nine weeks. Yeah, it was about like nine, 10 weeks. Now the process of the miscarriage started. I went home and I remember, I mean, the excruciating pain. It was... Mm-hmm. I I can't even describe how bad it was. So if that's what labor felt like, I would have died if I would have given birth naturally because the cramping, all the blood. I mean, I was literally going through like heavy pads every hour. Like Mm -hmm. it was a lot of blood. And then on March 8th, basically my body just got rid of the pregnancy. And I I guess you could say delivered her. And uh, that, that alone fucks with your head you see this baby because you know what she was baby you can see her her fingers were formed her toes you can see her head like she was literally Mm -hmm. just like a really tiny super tiny baby that I held in my hand and it was just it that Mm -hmm. that literally broke my heart and going back to what you said it it literally did feel like labor to me because I even had the urge to push push yeah yeah and I'm just like oh my god and I even remember calling you while Mm -hmm. I was going through it and I'm like Nikki I think I think this is it and you were there for me and I but I remember you know after we hung up that's when I started having the urge to push Mm -hmm. when it happened I remember just like I was just there in shock like oh my god Mm -hmm. and then I called my husband because he was downstairs with the kids Mm -hmm called my husband up and he just looked at me and I just bawled. I was crying so much and he, you know, he didn't take it well either. Like it was, it was tough. And all I can do was cry and I kept apologizing. And I'm like, not even to him, like after he left and had time to myself, I was apologizing to my child who was now wherever she was. Mm -hmm. And cause I, I felt like she was a she. Right. And I remember just apologizing, like, I'm so sorry. I couldn't take care of you. I'm so sorry. I couldn't protect you. Like I was just, I don't know. I just felt so guilty and I didn't do anything. The guilt is real. It's like, because as a mom, especially when you already have a child, it's like, you're, you're supposed to be able to hold this child. You're supposed to be able to raise this child in your womb Mm -hmm. and take care of them. And then when that doesn't happen, you know, like, oh my God, I couldn't do it. And I tell you, you never, oh my God, I'm getting emotional. You never get over that. You don't. There's days that I still think like, what would she be? She'd be seven years old now. And I'm just like, who would she look like? What would she be? Mm-hmm. Like, people don't understand how hard it is to want a pregnancy and then lose it. And and then actually having, like, to hold mm-hmm. that child that was inside of you. Oh, my God. I was trying so hard not to cry. <laughs> it's, it's a tough episode. Oh, after that, I was like, I didn't even know if I wanted to get pregnant again because I, I was like, I can't. I can't go through that. Um, when I got pregnant with Kaylee, I every day I was like praying. I was so scared. So when I went into early term with her, I like I I I lost it. I was like, 
I can't do this again. And especially mm-hmm. having her, you know, she was 32 weeks. I was like, if I give birth to this baby and she doesn't make it, I'm, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's tough. It's, it's such, I can't even, it's a pain that nobody I can't even can, you describe. can't describe it. You cannot like, describe it. Unless you've been through it, you have no idea Mm-mm. how hard it is, how much it hurts. Because no matter what, that was still your baby. And you're always yep. going to think of that baby. And I remember, I remember, because at the time I was going to therapy when I had the ectopic. And every time I tried to tell her what happened, I would just break down. Yeah. And I just like, I couldn't even get the words out. And it took it took almost a year just to talk about it, just mm-hmm. because of the fact that it was just so hard oh, to yeah. talk about. It it takes it takes such a long time. People try to they try to make you feel better, and it's like, oh, you know, it's okay. You'll have another one. It doesn't matter. Like, oh yeah, that no. was... I've gotten that too, where it's like, oh well, you know, you already have two kids, so I'm right. like, no, that's that's that doesn't. No, it doesn't matter. Like that was my child. My child didn't make it. Like you don't just, you know, pick and choose who your children are. You're going to love every one of your children, rather they're here or they're not here. Mm -hmm. The same. They're your child. So yeah, please don't tell anyone who's had a miscarriage. Oh, it's okay. You have children or it's okay. You'll have another one because you know what? At the end of the day, there are women that can't have children and have had multiple Mm -hmm. miscarriages and saying things like that that it really hurts it's Mm -hmm. not making anything better and not only that i i know for a fact that god's willing if i do get pregnant again the amount of anxiety that i'm gonna go through every single day every time i go to the bathroom to look down at my underwear to see if i'm bleeding yep you know to wonder oh if this symptom if i'm not feeling it does that mean it's not like it's just it's so anxiety it is and it's just, it's so scary. It is. And I, you know, it takes away from the pregnancy because you're so worried that something wrong is going to happen. You can't mm-hmm. let yourself experience with Kaylee. Even after I got past like 12 weeks, I was just like, okay, I got past this, but what if this happens or what if that mm-hmm. happens? And then, like I said, when she, my water broke and I was like, oh my God, she's coming early. I was like, Lord, please just, just let me have this baby. Cause I knew if I lost her, I was going to lose me. Like it mm-hmm. was, it was hard. It is. Um, yeah. And it, I mean, your body after having a miscarriage, it takes forever to like mm-hmm. heal. I bled for like, I want to say like six weeks. Yeah. And that was like a just, constant reminder yep. that, you know, she's not here. So that made it even worse. Yep. And then having to actually take care of a baby while you just lost the baby, that makes it worse. Having to go to a doctor's appointment mm-hmm. when you're, you know, so they can check to make sure that everything was, you know, flushed out of your body. That's, that's hard. Oh, let me tell you, after I had the miscarriage, because... I think it was like the following week I had a doctor's appointment to check on the pregnancy itself. Mm -hmm. I called the office and I said, look, I had a miscarriage. Should I still come in? They were like, yeah, we want to make sure that everything's out. I'm like, okay, they, they know, they know I have a miscarriage. Oh, please don't tell me they did the same thing to you, what they did to me, because I wanted to punch that nurse in her face. 
I went there and the sonographer was like, oh my God, how many weeks are you now? And I'm just, she's like, I can't wait. Are you excited to see your baby? And I'm just like, I just broke down and cried again. I'm like, yo, I called the office for this specific reason Mm -hmm. so that you make a note of it, that this is no longer a viable pregnancy. Exactly. Yep. That happened to me too. When I went into the office, I told them before going in, I said, um, I miscarried my baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to come in for, I guess, the ultrasound to make sure everything is is okay. Yep. And they were like, okay, we're so sorry. Well, the receptionist. And, you know, I was like, can you please just make sure they make a note in my chart? Mm-hmm. I get there, go in the room, and she, she's just like, oh, my God. She was like, so you should be like, what, 13 weeks now, 14 mm-hmm. weeks? And I'm just like, I lost my baby and started crying. And she's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And I was like, it should have been in my chart. Exactly. And she was just like, oh, my God. I, 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 I mean, I lost it in that office. Mm-hmm. And, you know, another thing is like, it's so hard, I guess, on the, the father's I don't know if he was just like holding back at that time, like emotionally or whatever. But, you know, um, when we actually went for like the final ultrasound, that's when he like broke down. But like for me is like every day I still think about her. I don't mm-hmm. know in his case, but for me is every day I think about her every day. I'm just like, I can't believe I went through that. You know, you never think that you have to deal with something like that. No. Nope. My husband was the same way, though, like, and I think it was more because he was trying to be strong for me. Mm-hmm. And I think it got to him eventually. And, you know, he said it, he was like, I just broke down when I was taking a shower. He was like, I needed that time alone. He's like, I couldn't be around anybody. And I just let it out. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, I get it. It's it's hard. I trust me, especially when you go through it and you have kids already it's so hard to go, you know, to do a normal motherly things. things, Right. And, you know, and have to pretend that you're okay. You know, my daughter, she knew my son was too young to know, Mm -hmm. you know, when it came to the ectopic pregnancy and, and the miscarriage, like he's, Mm -hmm. he was just too young. It was tough. It was tough to go on. And it was tough to like, especially with the IVF, since people knew that I was going for this procedure, right? It was tough now to have to hear like, Oh, my God, how is it? How'd it go? And I'm just like, it did not, you know, now we have to make those phone calls. That's like, it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. And then to have to retell the story to over and over, over, it's just like it kept it was just like another wound that just kept opening. It was it, for me, it was like a never closing wound because mm-hmm. it was like having to say it over and over again. It's just it, it was it was really hard. It like, was that that had to be one of the hardest parts of, you know, like motherhood for me. And that and that was the thing, like with my first miscarriage, something told me when I found out that I was pregnant, I was like, I don't feel like you didn't feel that connection. Right. I didn't feel that connection. And I kept telling my husband, I'm like, don't tell anybody. I was like, because if something happens, you know, I don't want to have to tell. Bless his heart. He was so excited Mm -hmm. that he did tell a few people. And then the worst happened. And then I, you know, we had to tell those people again, like, no, it didn't work out. But it's just like, I felt it from the beginning. I'm like, this is something's wrong. I I don't feel, I agree. Like you said, I don't feel connected. Mm hmm. 
Cause I, I felt pregnant for, you know, a little bit. I knew I was pregnant, but there, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, I don't know how to, how to explain it. It's just, there wasn't that connection to that yep. baby. When I got pregnant with Mateo, it was like, oh my God, I have a baby. I'm getting, I, I'm going to be a mom, like yep. all this. And, you know, you start planning and it's like, oh, you know, if there's a girl, or this is the name that I want. If it's a boy, this yep. is, none of that happened nope. with that pregnancy. It was just like, I was pregnant. I knew mm-hmm. I was pregnant, but that feeling just wasn't there. Like, it, nope. like you said, it felt like something was wrong. You could, mm-hmm. I couldn't put my, you know, my finger on it, but I knew nope. that something was wrong. Yeah. And like you said, when, when it came to my, when, when it came to the IVF pregnancy, I was so excited. Cause I'm like, this is going to happen. This is it. Like it has to. Mm-hmm. And I gave her a name. Her name was Hallie. And, you know, we were so excited and when it came to my first miscarriage, like you said, there was no connection there. So I didn't, I didn't have the name prepared or or anything. I mean, after the fact, I ended up naming her Carla after my father, Carlos, who Mm -hmm. also passed away when I was younger. That's the same. Um, I I named Sophia after the fact. I didn't have a name for her at all throughout my pregnancy. So after all of that happened, I named her Sophia Face. Yeah. So, um, so, hey, hi, what is it? So you have Hallie. And Carla. Carla and Sophia are up there causing havoc right now. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're our kids, so they sure, yeah. they sure damn sure will are. Yeah. So um, I just wanted to show uh, share some statistics, I guess, about miscarrying because these are pretty uh, out of this world as well. Apparently, 80% of pregnancy losses occur during the first trimester, which is between zero and 13 weeks. Mm-hmm. 80%. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a large chunk there 50 to 75 percent basically end before even getting a positive result on a pregnancy test mm-hmm. then during week five you have a 21.3 percent chance of miscarrying after week six the rate loss drops to five percent between weeks eight to 13 which i fell under the rate of miscarriage is between two to four so that that was a pretty low percentage and yet it happens yeah, my my first one was when I was 12 weeks. That I mean that that's so you think you're thinking 12 weeks. It's like, okay, well, you're still early in a pregnancy. When I tell you that that fetus was completely developed, it just was a little miniature person. Like, and even if super it was tiny. Even if it wasn't, that's still your child. Right. Let's see. And then between weeks 14 and 20, the chance of experiencing a miscarriage is less than 1%. And then after week 20, a pregnancy loss is known as a stillbirth. Mm -hmm. The scary thing is that there's never going to be a time where you're 100% out of the clear. Ever. And that's such a scary thing to think about. It really is. So miscarrying by age under 35 years, there's a 15% chance 35 to 45 years old. There's a 20 to 35% chance of pregnancy loss and over 45 years of age, there's roughly a 50% chance. So if you get pregnant after 45, you have a half and half chance of having a baby or losing a baby. That's rough. That is rough. I wanted to have more kids, but being that, you know, I had such a hard time with Kaylee and because my uterus can no longer hold a pregnancy. I obviously can't have any more kids, but um, I wanted four kids, but I guess God had other plans for me. You know, people ask me like if I would ever do like surrogacy and I honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I I could, you know, like seeing somebody else carry. I mean, it works for other people, but for me, I I can't see someone else carrying my baby 
I I miss that. I miss my pregnancy with like mm-hmm. Mateo and Kaylee and then having to see somebody else carry my child. And even though they, I guess, do tests and stuff like that, you still don't know what they put in their bodies. Nope, you still don't know what they do. And I, I just, I couldn't do that. So, I mean, we touched base pretty much on what the signs of, of uh, miscarriage are. Bleeding is more likely to indicate a miscarriage when it's heavy. It gets heavier over time with intense cramps, a sudden reduction in pregnancy symptoms, like I said, a decrease in the fetus's movements. If you're, you know, higher, uh, if you're in a further term, we have further along pregnancy, Mm -hmm. intense cramps, passing blood clots. And then, you know, when to see a doctor, if you have like super intense cramps, a reduction in pregnancy symptoms, and you're just not feeling the fetus move. Mm -hmm. So being a woman sucks. (laughs) It really does. I mean, it, it has its moments. And a lot of the times like motherhood is is amazing. But then you have situations like this that happen. And this contributes to like our past episodes to post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. disorder. Because I honestly feel like between skip Mateo, Mateo's pregnancy. Yeah, I had baby blues. But I honestly feel between the miscarriage and then having Kaylee, I don't think I ever fully got better from the miscarriage. Right. And then having Kaylee's pregnancy and then dealing with postpartum depression. So all of that between that time, it was like, I was just a shit show pretty mm-hmm. much. And I think, I, I think the, the thing is also is that these topics are never spoken about or rarely spoken about. There's such a stigma around it. There and I is. don't understand why. And, you know, it, it sucks because women feel like they can't they can't talk about it. Like they mm-hmm. have to, like, deal with this on their own. And you really don't. I wish people would speak more about it, about post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. about miscarriages, about, you know, infertility, infertility. Yes, there's so many women mm-hmm. that have to deal with that. And, you know, it's not spoken about. And what makes it worse is they go through this. Mm-hmm. They they have to put themselves through a financial burden because health insurance isn't covering it. They have to deal with losses. And then after losing it, still have to pay this shit off. It, it's, it's unreal. It's unreal. And not only that, it's such a, this is why it's such a slap in the face whenever a congressman is always like, oh, well, you know, a miscarriage can always be prevented. Or no, it really can't. Or if you have a miscarriage, then you're going to be held accountable on like first degree burger or whatever. And I'm like, what? How? <laughs> How? Dude, like, I, I, I just don't know what to say in those cases because it's like, yes, because the one thing that I really wanted to do was kill my child. Right. Right. So I forced myself to have a miscarriage. Like, that's not how that fucking works, stupid. Yeah. It's just, I I, I have no words for that. It's just, like I said, if you have gone through a miscarriage, if you're going through a miscarriage, seek help, talk to somebody Mm -hmm. because holding those feelings inside, I tell you, it's only going to get worse. There are so many women that have gone through it and I'm pretty sure are there to listen. Because like I said, my, my experience is completely different from Lori's experience. Mm -hmm. And I would never tell her like, oh, well, you have to feel like this, or you have to do this. Everybody's experience is different. You just need somebody there to listen to you, you know? Absolutely. And also if you're not, even if you're not comfortable with talking to a friend or a family member, seriously, a therapist helps so much. I feel like Mm -hmm. there's a stigma around that as well, for whatever reason. Yeah, but a ther- my therapist helped me so much 
because you know she gave me methods like things that I can do to help you know coping methods coping methods or even something as simple as you know talk to your child let them know that you still love them and Mm -hmm. your child even if they're not physically with you they are still spiritually there absolutely I I personally wrote her a letter and I buried it telling her how much I missed her and wish that she was here is there there's so many things that you can do there really is yeah people see I don't know I guess they they see therapy as some kind of weakness I feel that people who seek out therapy are the strongest people ever because absolutely they have the courage to go and look for help Mm-hmm. whereas you know you have people that suffer in silence when they don't have to not only that i feel like by not going or rather by going you're admitting to yourself that it's something that you can't handle and that is okay it's okay for you to say you know what i'm not doing this goes back to our ptsd episode right it's okay to say i'm not okay right and, and i need help th- exactly and to say that you need help like there's strength in that there's strength in talking to people and to letting out your feelings there's a lot of that and 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 i feel like a lot of people don't take advantage of that Absolutely. especially especially in a situation that we've been through where it was miscarriage or any type of loss. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, you need to let that out. It's something you cannot hold in. You definitely cannot hold that in. That's it's, it's something that needs to be spoken about. It needs, it's something that needs to be, you know, released. It's a death, you know, you have Mm -hmm. to mourn it. You have to mourn it and you have to, you know, understand that it wasn't your fault, yep. but you have to be able to mourn that loss because that's what it is, a loss. You you know, you lost your child. Mm-hmm. It may not have been, you know, like, and that's another thing that I know there are certain women that are like, oh, but it was a miscarriage. Like it was just cells. No, it was my child. Yep. I My baby died. It mm-hmm. wasn't cells or clumps of cells that died. It was my child. Yep. At the end of the day, she had a heartbeat. She yep. was growing inside of me and that was mm-hmm. my baby. You exactly. can't tell me that that was just a clump of cells. At the end of the day, as a woman, women should empower women and not bring them down because, yeah, you know, that's what we're, we're here to empower everyone. So trying to say it, it, it was a miscarriage, like it, like it was nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you went through it, you, you really don't understand the, nope. the pain and the suffering that you go through. And I feel like if more women were to speak about their experiences, make it known that there are a lot there there would be a lot of women who have gone through it who have kept quiet that also start to feel empowered to tell their mm-hmm. story as well and then the more women who do that the less of a taboo topic it would right. be it wouldn't Absolutely. be shrouded in mystery if we talk about this if this becomes a topic that you know everyone who has gone through it starts to talk about just like any other topic then i feel like actual change can happen and more women will find the support that they need i agree i agree 100 oh this was a heavy one <laughs> yeah for real this was a heavy one it, and honestly like this this is the first time that i've talked about all of this probably since it happened yeah, exactly. Like only a few people know about my miscarriage and it was hard talking about it and just reliving it. Mm-hmm. It really was. Yeah. So, I mean, um, if you guys want to talk to us, you can feel free to ask us any questions, leave any comments. Thank you for being here and listening to our story. And if, like I said, if you're dealing with miscarriage, infertility and anything like that, just know that we're here for you. Mm hmm. You can reach out to us if you want to talk. 
between the both of us, I think we've been through just about everything. <laughs> Pretty much. So, <laughs> whew, I think I need a beer now. So thank you everybody for coming to our podcast and we will see you next week. Yes, we will. Bye. Bye.